You're listening to Inspired Edinburgh, a weekly interview show that brings you raw and powerful conversations with fascinating people from all walks of life. Our mission is to inspire and encourage you to reflect on your identity, beliefs, purpose and worldview. If you enjoy this, please subscribe for future episodes and feel free to contact us via any of our social media channels. Thank you in advance for taking the time to listen to the show and we hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Inspired Edinburgh, the home of powerful conversations. I'm Elliot Reeves and my guest today is Selby Carey. Selby is the co-founder of Helping Hands Promotions, a promotional marketing business that puts social and environmental responsibilities first. You provide local cafes, coffee shops and retailers with free branded decompostable hot beverage cups and donate a portion of your profits towards helping the homeless people. You won the Edinburgh Apprentice earlier in the year and your mission is to create a new social movement that sees all profitable organisations creating shared value and helping those around them. Selby, it's absolutely brilliant to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's an absolute <laughs> pleasure. Um, we've obviously spent a bit of time together uh, in the past and I think you've got a fantastic story to tell and, and uh, yeah, I love your mission. So I'm looking forward to this. I'm excited. I'm excited. Let's get going. Good stuff. Good stuff. The best place that we can start, I think, is really, um, you know, you're a young guy, but starting with your early life, where you grew up, and uh, I suppose, yeah, kind of what your, what your early life was like. I guess, uh, that's sort of a, a long story, but we'll start from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was born in Zimbabwe, uh, quite a while ago now, I guess, and uh, parents lived there for seven years. I grew up on a farm, which was an interesting experience. Uh, then, unfortunately, Zimbabwe went through some trouble, and my parents emigrated to, uh, to Zambia, where my dad became an agricultural advisor, and I went to school there. I uh, went to international school and did uh, A-levels, and at that point, you know, it got me used to the British system, and I really sort of fell in love with engineering before I even knew it. I uh, <laughs> used to, I, I built, I rebuilt, rather, uh, a classic Spitfire Triumph, and I Jeez. fell in love with uh, breaking things apart and figuring out how they worked, and then... I think uh, I maybe came to my sort of final year of uh, school and decided that I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an engineer. I wanted to be a problem solver. I uh, came across the UK and decided to do mechanical engineering. Fell in love with Edinburgh. As you can mm. imagine, it's a beautiful place. Fell in love with the people, the campus, the excellence in engineering. And then uh, chose Harry Watt University to do, go to. And I've just graduated after four years of spending my time there. Uh, and I, I couldn't be more happier. Like, uh, I, had a, I had a fantastic time there, had a, had a great time, met loads of amazing people. And I guess my last sort of, uh, my last semester of university, I decided to take, take a chance, enter the Edinburgh Apprentice, as you just mentioned there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I won it, I was very lucky with that. <laughs> and um, yeah. came out of it with a business idea that people were, I guess, inspired by and interested. Mm -hmm. And I decided at that point in my life that I might as well take a chance. I'm still young, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's the perfect time to take that risk. Yeah, to be an entrepreneur, and I guess the rest is history. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. a great, uh, a great summary. Really, really good. I think what fascinates me is the fact that you know you wanted to be an engineer, you did engineering, and yet you didn't become an engineer. And we'll, we'll get to that. I think one of the things that I'd like to ask you about is you know growing up in in Africa, culturally, how do you think they differ to say Edinburgh? I think it's uh, it's not as different as you might think, but maybe really? the way we deal with situations is a bit different. So um, 
my grandpa, for example, who is my, my absolute idol, uh, and, I, and I'll say that on, on camera <laughs> because he's a fantastic man. He's very caring, he's very honest, and he would, he would drop everything to help you. Zimbabwean mm -hmm. so people are a community. You know, it's, it's not like I've seen in Edinburgh. Edinburgh is a lovely city and there's community here. In, in Zimbabwe, you know, you know somebody with a, a couple of connections, you know, from two or three people's removed, mm. and you would help them. You drop everything to help them. You know, they're very caring people. And uh, no matter what situation happens, there's, there's always a plan. Zimbabweans always have a plan. Uh, we're always in MacGyver, so we always find, find a solution to something. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, <laughs> the people in Zimbabwe, Africa in general, are much more laid back. I think um, we're not so, so worried about the future as much as worrying is as effective as chewing bubblegum to solve an algebra problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think people believe in manana. <laughs> they think about, you know, we'll do it tomorrow, you know, so it makes people a bit more relaxed. Yes. Um, but Edinburgh is, is not so different. Everybody here is, is really excited, and I think the young people in Edinburgh have a lot more on-the-future cards for themselves. Like, they, they're trying to aspire to the future, mm -hmm. uh, whereas in Zimbabwe, everything's a bit more relaxed. <laughs> but as, as a culture, I think it's... It's very different, but it's lovely. Excellent, excellent. I was looking at the um, the Helping Hands website, and the, I mean, there's an enormous amount of statistics on it. One of the things that I, that I think really interested me was it said where you grew up, employment rates reached almost ninety percent. Yeah, what, what was that like? I think uh, Zimbabwe and and some parts of Africa are a complex issue. Mm. You you can't just look at it as figures. You can't just see it as this many people are unemployed but unfortunately the reality was that at a certain point people got into official jobs uh, unemployment official jobs anyway mm -hmm. uh, rose to that scale because all the people are forced out of the general industries that you're used to in the uk and all the industries go to the black markets a lot of people actually trade on the streets there are a lot of flea markets as you would call them mm -hmm. and people actually grow their own foods and things in the, in the rural areas and they sell it and they trade between each other so the unemployment rates have, have risen because the formal, I guess, jobs that you would normally utilize, those opportunities are gone. Mm -hmm. And that's all to do with stability in the country. Mm -hmm. And that's a completely different issue. And I guess people could speak about that for hours, <laughs> about the political and, ge and geopolitical side of Africa. Yeah. But uh, the reason that's such an issue, and that's what brought me to heart when I came to Edinburgh, is the homelessness issue in Africa is just something that we just we take for granted. We, we just realize it's there because it's part of being an impoverished nation and all the rest of those things. And, I guess you expect it of Africa. The problem mm -hmm. is you expect those things mm -hmm. um, because of the geopolitical issues. And then when I came to Edinburgh, I kind of saw that the issues in, of homelessness still exist. And uh, I guess I was, I was, wouldn't say frightened by it, but it made me realize how, as a country like this and a nation, that it's not as perfect as I once envisioned when I was a child. Yeah. And uh, that sort of gave me a bit of an inspiration to, to really take helping hands forward because if this is such an issue, and I'm sure you've got me going to my website, mm. I say that 28,000 people are registered homeless in Scotland alone. Yeah. 363 people uh, spend uh, their nights alone, cold on the streets. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that fi the figures vary and figures different from different references, but at the end of the day, there's still a lot of people. And for a developed nation like this, I, I never expected it to be like this. Yeah. So the issues in, in Zimbabwe are, are one step ahead, but the issues in Edinburgh are not far removed. It just so happens that Zimbabwe's uh, ratings a lot higher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me about your experience in the Edinburgh Apprentice um, and, and I suppose how that links in with the idea of, of helping ants. I think uh, this, the story behind that is actually quite funny uh, because uh, I think it's better to tell you what happened on the day. <laughs> so 
me and uh, my friend Michael McDonald, who's mm -hmm. obviously our business partner for Helping Hands, uh, we've fantastically made it to the, to the final round, or he made it to the semi-finals and I made it to the final. And uh, we got through a lot of resilience in the first round. Uh, it was quite hectic. Uh, our store was shut down in the sales round, so we, were, we, are, we technically lost. Um, but we were given a second chance because we proved that we could do it, but unfortunately circumstances did not allow us to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and we persevered, and we were resilient, and we built a website with our group member, Michael Waite. And we built a website and we sold raffle tickets online. We, were, we managed to successfully grow through the rounds and through that resilience, we had this sort of passion and drive to get to the end. And I got to the end. We always said, you know, we've got to do this. We've, we've entered this competition, we're going to take it through to the end. And on the day that we were presented with our final idea pitch for the final, mm -hmm. I had a presentation for university and I was working from 5 p.m. till 1 a.m. in the morning. And I had to design a business in 24 hours. Jeez. And I, I called up Michael and I said, Michael, uh, I need your help, man. <laughs> I, I, I need you to help me sort of build this thing. Like, I've got an idea. I think I know what I want to do, but I just don't have the time. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to be up all night. And he said, don't worry, man. I will be there for you. And he turned up at my door at 12.30 after I got back from work. And we worked till 7.30 in the morning. No way. Designing Helping Hands. He did the finances and everything else. I did uh, I sort of designed the business plan, the presentation, the marketing side of it, and how we were going to develop the business. And went to sleep for three hours, woke up, pitched the idea. And I think I've said this a couple of times to different people, but... My first words were, I'm not going to sell you anything. I'm going to tell you a story. And I'll let you decide what you think of it. Hmm. And uh, I think the came, came to the, the, the final like, awards dinner, and uh, they announced my name. And I was, I, was, I was quite, I guess I wouldn't say shocked or surprised, but I was happy. I was happy, but surprised all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And because I knew that at that point, that was sort of a defining moment for myself where I realized that this idea that I had was actually something real. Yeah. And people were quite interested in it. And uh, we got a lot, a lot of investors afterwards saying to us, do you need money? You know, should we get involved with you? Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, the beauty was that this idea that came out of nothingness, came out of a conversation. And I was playing with a, a coffee mug I had on my desk, mm -hmm. um, hearing what we had to do for the final. And I realized, you know what would be great? If I didn't have to worry about recycling this. And I'd, I'd, I thought back to a time where a friend of mine, Tamara Kosgun, who's actually involved with the business, told me about advertising on coffee cups. And I thought, that could be a thing. You know, that's how we could generate this. You know, we could start making an effect. And, and one domino effect led to the next and the next and the next. And I guess here we are today with a much more detailed business plan. I don't think the first one is, was uh, perfect, but I don't think we are right now. But we're yeah. constantly evolving and changing, and we've got this vision and this, this goal and this drive. And ever since the Edinburgh Apprentice, I realized that dreams do come, come true. And if you've got an idea, you know, it could change the world. Mm -hmm. um, so I <laughs> guess that was my experience with the Edinburgh Apprentice. It, it was a great competition, and I would recommend anyone to do it, really, mm -hmm. to, to test yourself, to push your boundaries. Hmm. Great I guess stuff. that's my experience. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so what is helping hands for people that don't know what helping hands is how does it work and and what were the the steps that you <coughs> took in order to actually bring it to fruition i think um i'll start with the first the first one the what helping mm -hmm. hands is so helping hands is is really a really a movement i think uh, I, I can define it by what our product is right now uh, but it's really a movement it's really our concept of how change should move you know making it easy for customers and consumers like you and me um to make a change without having to take a step out of our daily lives. Because we're all quite busy. We all have our own lives to concentrate on. And it's very hard 
to take a step back and try and concern yourself with other people's problems. Mm -hmm. So in Helping Hands, we're trying to break those things down to the basics. I'm an engineer. I constantly look at a problem as how to solve it, and I break it down to basics. And I use first principles. And I applied the same concept to issues in society, and that's how I'm trying to solve them. Mm -hmm. So Helping Hands, like you mentioned before, uh, we're a startup social enterprise. So we're a for-profit business, which allows us to be sustainable. So it means over the long term, we don't have to worry about funding and finance like charities do. Yeah. We will constantly be making a difference because we're constantly receiving income. So what we do is our first product is called the Helping Hands Cup. This is, as you said, again, uh, compostable cups. So mm -hmm. basically means you don't have to worry about it. It'll biodegrade between eight to 12 weeks. You can throw in your trash without a wo single worry because you know that it's not gonna hurt the environment, right? To a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Now the second side of it, we're also aiming to use those cups to give job opportunities to homeless people or ex-homeless people so that we can provide something to society that will help sustain them. And in doing so, we give these cups for free to local organizations, cafes, restaurants, etc., like that. And that helps them reduce their costs and compete against larger brands such as Costa and Starbucks. Mm -hmm. And also allows them to group together and become a bit more of a community. And we call this the Helping Hands community. And this leads us back to the Helping Hands effect. So what we're actually trying to achieve at Helping Hands right now is to reduce consumer waste, and that means anything from a coffee cup to a pizza box to any takeaway cutlery you use. In the future, we envision people not having to worry about anything you take from shops and, and stores, because at the end, it's all going back into the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you won't have to worry about a homeless issue in Edinburgh, because the job opportunities will be there for those that want them. Yeah. Because companies like myself, and hopefully in the future, we would have inspired more people to offer the kind of opportunities that we are doing. Hopefully in the future, people offer opportunities to people who don't have them. And in doing so, produce a helping hand to those in need. And at the same time, growing your community and making your community stronger together and connecting us more together. And that leads to what we call the helping hands effect. Mm -hmm. And we're still a young business, obviously. Uh, we've only been operating, I think, fi five months now. And we're trying to develop our business model and doing it in our, all in our spare time. We're not getting paid for this. Mm -hmm. um, and we're trying to make a difference from this. So our helping hands effect envisages this in one day. And one day, a man will walk into a cafe and he'll ask for a coffee and he'll be presented with a Helping Hands cup. And that Helping Hands cup, he drinks his coffee with, he sees it is a local organization advertised on that cup and he says, interesting, who is this local organization? He researches them, interesting, they get a new contact in their business. And at the same time realizes that Helping Hands is trying to make a difference. Mm -hmm. Instead of worrying about where that cup is going, he throws it in the bin and it's not a problem. The next time he goes to the cafe, the cafe has a new person working for them because now they've got more income or rather they've got a reduction in cost so they can employ more people for their cafe. Mm. And he takes another cup and he realizes, wow, they're actually starting to make a difference, right? And the next time the cafe meets somebody, it's an ex-homeless man and he's delivering the cups and he's chatting to them and he's engaging with them. And then next thing you realize is the community is actually engaging with the homeless community and you realize that homeless people are just like you and me. We're all human mm -hmm. and that's created a job in that community. Mm -hmm. And next thing you see is a homeless person who is now a professional, now integrated back in society, reaching out a helping hand to another homeless person or ex-homeless person saying, listen, there's an opportunity for you here. So this whole cycle means that everybody gets mm -hmm. impacted. And hopefully, obviously, it might be an idealistic dream, but hopefully one day I won't have to worry about these issues and neither will you. We'll just yeah. walk down the road, get our local... Uh, coffee cup and we know that we're already contributing 10 quid uh, to donations every year 
for something as simple as maybe 10,000 cups. And we know at that same time we're creating shared value. We've got people being employed. We've got local organizations being helped. And at the same time, we don't have to worry about wasting the environment anymore. Mm -hmm. But this is, I guess, an idealistic dream, and I'm a dreamer. I think that's what I am. Um, <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, we'll see this thing being brought into fruition in the next couple of years. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you, you tell the story so well, um, you communicate your vision so well, and it really is such a compelling thing. Um, I've, I've actually got your vision and your values in front of me. One of the ones that really stood out is uh, you, one day you'd like to have a homeless person running the business. I just think like that's incredible. I, I think uh, I think that's. That was our dream when we first started because um, I guess a bit of a backstory behind how I knew a little bit into the homeless community. Um, I tried to volunteer once upon a time for a, for a charity. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, and it took me ages to actually get to the point where I was able to volunteer. You know, there was a lot of bureaucracy around it and I, <clears throat> I decided just to take it upon my own, own steam and start speaking to people in the homeless community. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to a guy, um, his name was John. I didn't know anything else about him other than that. And I asked him about the issues in homelessness and in the homeless community and, and what was actually going on. And I realized that there, there was a lot more complex problems than we ever realized, or I ever realized. I thought it was um, just people on the street begging for money. You know, these are, these are simple things that we, we, we forget, you know, mm -hmm. that there's a lot more behind it. There's always a story behind every, every person, every face. Yeah. And I realized that what I would like to do is use a complex that we keep getting taught in Africa, which is if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day but if you teach a man to fish, you'll eat for a lifetime. And I had envisioned someone like John, right, who picks himself up with that determination, that courage, right, to then work for a business like ourselves. We train him, we grow him, we, we help him become the person we think that he can become. Mm -hmm. And at one day, we realize that he's inspiring others and he picks himself up and he leads the business. Helping hands doesn't have to be mine or, or yours. Uh, it should belong to the community one day. Yeah. But right now, you know, I've taken upon myself to try and lead this. And hopefully we can make a difference with that. And hopefully one day we can see somebody like John leading the business mm -hmm. and inspiring more people who, who think there's no hope left for themselves on the street to actually pick themselves up or to actually look for help. Yeah. Um, and maybe inspire people like, like you and me to actually start offering that help and that helping hand. Yeah. And that's where the name Helping Hands came from. Because at the end of the day, we're a community um, here in Edinburgh, we're a community here in the UK, in the world. Uh, we're all sort of connected in that way. Mm -hmm. um, so if we all offer each other a helping hand, a bit like we do in Zimbabwe with our community, and I think that's what I definitely brought with me when I came here, is helping other people, or trying to do the best I can yeah. um, with what I've got around me. And hopefully mm -hmm. at the end of the day, helping hands will do that, will be that inspiration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So you've partnered with um, a number of different brands as it, is, it currently stands. You know, you've got Social Bite, um, Street Change, Streetworks, and Prana Designs, who I believe were the people who built the website. Exactly. Who, who else, um, I mean, do you kind of screen your partners? Um, is there any people specifically that you're looking to partner with? And, and how will that work longer term? I think the way we want to look at partners is um, we want to utilize skills that we don't have. So obviously, I'm an engineer. And I'm, I'm trying to, to learn to be, I guess, a, a CEO or director in this way. And I'm trying to gain as much experience as possible from what I can take, what I can learn, um, what I can research, um, any meetings and conferences I go to. And I'm trying to grow personally so I can, I can do better as a, as a leader in, in hopefully this industry and this business. Mm -hmm. um, so we're taking advantage of these partners by using their skills and expertise. So I'm, I'm not a psychologist, for example, so I wouldn't know the issues behind um, 
um, the mental capacities of people and how they've dealt with their issues. Yeah. And maybe I'm not quite um, ready to be able to do that right now. So we're taking people like social bias who've got experience in this. And when the day finally comes, when we have uh, the finance available to actually employ somebody mm. full time, we'll take advantage of social buy-in and use their experience and their expertise to actually um, get somebody into our business who's ready and support them through that process. So Social Bite's a fantastic organization. They've done lots of good and mm -hmm. got a Social Bite Academy where they could feed ex-homeless people who are ready to go into a job um, into our organization. Mm -hmm. And in, in that case, we're supporting them and then hopefully they would support us. Street Change is a way for us to donate um, to helping homeless people get more job opportunities. It could be somebody wanting to buy a new bicycle so they could deliver goods or go on a training course. Mm -hmm. And so Social, so social Bite and, uh, and Street Change together form uh, two parts of our, uh, our story. So we become a network. Mm -hmm. So we yeah. realize that we can't do this alone. Um, so the issue of homelessness is so complex that not one person can solve this issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why I'm trying to create this network of people to help us. The same with Prana Designs. You know, um, again, I'm not a website designer. So we're utilizing their skills and expertise. So again, they're a fantastic company. They're a local Ed Edinburgh company. And uh, the director, Chris Hewitt, has uh, helped us more than enough times to, to get us on board. And as you've seen our website, it's just quite slick and we're trying to develop with that. And he's helping us yeah. with that, you know? Mm -hmm. It's that, that link to the community that I'm, I'm constantly aiming for. Mm -hmm. And hopefully in, in the future, we'll link up with potentially Cyrenians mm -hmm. or even Shelter mm -hmm. uh, and try and integrate our websites so that at the end of the day, you know, if you want to donate your clothes, you, you can come through us and we can show you where to do that. If you want to donate mm -hmm. your food, there's food sharing for Edinburgh. If you want to donate this and that, if you just want to contribute a little bit, we've got a donation platform now, so you can put five or ten quid in there. And at oh. the end of every month, that money goes to street change, and it can be allotted, and hopefully in the future we'll have a voting system so that you as the donator, as the community, can decide which person um, you would like to support mm -hmm. through street change. Or if not, it can go into a pot and distribute it equally to everybody. And that's the way we sort of see it, is that taking, a, taking advantage of the skills that are already out there, we don't have to diversify ourselves and do all 100 jobs that they are needed in this industry. We can specialize and say, we'll provide the platform, we'll provide one side of it, mm -hmm. we'll start helping reduce consumer waste by and also providing opportunities and raising awareness, most importantly, raising awareness about these issues. Yeah. And uh, when we do that, we can utilize our neighbors and our friends and, and the community and get them to help us and in the hopes that we can help them. Yeah. And eventually we can start digging into this hole and start making real change. Mm. So I guess that's why we have so many partners. And hopefully yeah. in the future, we can start helping each other more than just raising awareness. In the future, when we do partner up, we can start seeing the, the homeless numbers fall and the reasons why homelessness is creating falling as well mm -hmm. and more support in the community. I guess that's what I want to see with the partnership. Yeah. So we all want to work together through a common goal, uh, which is to improve the lives of others around us. Mm. Fantastic, yeah. We, we live in a world of almost infinite abundance. Why do you think homelessness is, 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 a, you know, is such a problem? I guess that's, that's the, the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, it was a very difficult question to ask, answer as well. Um, but I think a homelessness exists because as, as, a, as a system, as a society, the way we orientate ourselves is, is always based on what works and what doesn't work. Right? And sometimes it doesn't work for certain people. Mm -hmm. So 25% of people that are homeless uh, leave their homes because of like, a dispute in the family. Another 25% of people le leave their homes because they're forced to. So that's 50% of people via, via the figures that we've, we've, we've referenced um, mm -hmm. that leave their homes not because of 
or sorry, become homeless rather, um, because of no drug issues, because of no mental issues, purely because of their situation. So I think what we've got to do, and the, I think the main problem here we've realized is it's, there's systems in place that sometimes help the majority, but sometimes leave the few without an ability to be supported. Mm. So I think I may, I may have spoken about this before as well, um, but the support system as a whole is one of the things that I think ne needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, from somebody who's gone to the bottom end, end of the scale, they need to be built up to be integrated back in society, and it's very hard. Um, and my, my analogy of it is, is being a bit like a child, right? When you're first developing, trying to learn how to engage, for example. Mm. Like when I was a child, I didn't quite understand emotion. You know, I didn't quite understand um, things and how things in the world worked. And I had to be supported through that. And sometimes when you're not supported through that, you can always fall back. And then there's a lot of misunderstanding and miscommunication. Mm. So we should treat the issues in society sometimes like that. Sometimes provide support whenever necessary. So through the beginning of it, through the issues of mental health and illness, and through the issues of housing, maybe, and through the issues of integration back into the, into the job market. Mm. And then further on, and at the end of the day, a bit like um, uh, there's, a <laughs> there's a movie, and I actually spoke this to you about as well, That's right, yeah. uh, with, um, with Jamie Foxx and Robert Downey Jr. Mm -hmm. And in the end of this movie, uh, they realized uh, that the most important thing was just simple friendship, simple understanding of that person's situation, and putting yourself in their shoes. And at that point, we can start bridging the gap between what we consider to be people who are homeless or on the streets, and those of us who are integrated into society and live our daily lives. So I think one of the main reasons that homelessness still exists is I think we disconnect ourselves from the situations of others. And in becoming more self-aware about our situation, about the way our fellow man lives, man or woman rather lives, mm -hmm. um, we might be able to realize that we're all the same. And uh, once we make that realization, mm we can take steps towards ensuring that that never happens again. That people are not hungry, people don't, don't have to stay out in the cold at night, people don't feel like they're unloved, they're on the streets, and they feel like they're just not looked at because there's something that, sh that shouldn't be looked at. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously it gives, it gives me some personal disgust as well when I hear people talking about different things in the homeless community. Um, but I realize that there's a lot we can do. And uh, one of my goals is to personally see if we can try and support other people and support people on the streets as much as possible. If mm. that means changing the system, that means changing the processes that we, we currently hold, then so be it. Mm. Change is a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, that's I, yeah, I mentioned this to you before we started as well. And, you know, someone could easily say, well, um, you've got corporations who turn over enormous amounts of money. Uh, why <coughs> is it that you've got a guy in his early 20s from Zimbabwe that's having to try and cure what is a, a really, you know, significant problem. Why aren't other people taking responsibility for it? I think, uh, again, it's is quite difficult to analyze this, and I, I'm no, no psychologist uh, <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just look at it from, from a human perspective. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's no cure for the, for the human psyche. We all, we all have choices and we all make decisions. Some people um, make choices that lead to, to bad things and unfortunate circumstances. Mm. Um, but when you talk about larger organizations, you know, for them to take accountability of something that is not their responsibility is very hard. So how, where mm. do you place the responsibility of, of homelessness, of, of these issues in society? Mm. Um, whose responsibility is it to actually do something about it? And sometimes uh, as a business, you know, you've got, as a large corporation, maybe you've got a um, certain responsibility to your customers or to your communities, to your stakeholders. 
And it's very hard to say that your responsibility is to all the homeless people in the UK. And I think that's, that's one of the, the key issues with large organizations and the government as a whole. It's like, whose responsibility is it? Whose job is it really to, to look after this mm -hmm. and to make sure it works? Mm -hmm. Then you start talking about the financial aspect of it. Where does the money come from and how do you associate that money uh, and benefit to cost? And that's where people like myself come in, where we see the system as it is and we see the forthcomings of it. We see the issues in the system. And I guess for someone like me, the reason why I, uh, why I did it is I, I saw an issue in, in society and uh, I had two options. I could have either accepted it and moved on with my, with my daily life or I can take action. And uh, I guess I, I've got this sort of drive and ambition and, and, and passion for making things better, figuring out how they work as mm -hmm. an engineer and trying to make them better, building a better car or um, looking at a better way to solve a, a business problem or consulting on a way that helps people. And then when I had this opportunity to finally make a difference, I did. I took it. I grasped it with both hands. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's kind of sad in a way that, 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 that it has to be somebody like me who's got no experience in this industry <laughs> yeah. taking charge of it. And I guess I'm, I'm not taking charge. I'm, I'm very inexperienced. I, I'm only a startup business. Um, me, me and my partners have only been working on this for a short period of time. And I'm constantly learning and growing and evolving. Um, but I'm hoping that one day this, this sort of movement, this inspiration that we're trying to, we're trying to show here mm -hmm. is that somebody like me, a graduate from university who could have got a job, a very lucrative job working in the energy industry, yeah. has uh, taken it upon himself to, uh, to start a business in this manner with all the risk that are associated with. Mm -hmm. And as much as my parents have obviously said to me, you know, it is quite risky. Yeah, I understand it is. Um, yeah. But I think it needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And I think somebody's got to do it. Yeah. And uh, what, is, uh, what is my purpose in life other than to try and make other people around me feel better and to live better? Yeah. Uh, so it gives me, um, gives me a sense of purpose, I guess. And uh, I know there's no true altruism in the world and you know, nothing is truly selfless. <laughs> and maybe it's my selfishness wanting to do something <laughs> with my life that is meaningful. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing. I think I've, take, I've taken responsibility for this now, in, in a sense, in a small part anyway. Mm. And I think as I slowly speak more about this and this vision and share it with the world, hopefully somebody will look over and say, actually, you're right. Maybe we should be starting to do something about this. Mm -hmm. and, and hopefully that, that's, that's going to happen. That, that's the why I'm doing this. I'm, I'm yeah. doing this to hopefully inspire people. And if that means I have to lead from the front <laughs> and I have to start with coffee cups, and next thing it's recycling all those coffee cups, and next thing it's cleaning up our oceans, if I have to take that charge, I will. Mm. I will spend 70 hours a week. I'll spend all my hours in the week <laughs> if I did. Yeah. So Amazing. that's why it is. Yeah, it's, it's so inspirational, really. Absolutely fantastic. You were recently away traveling. You took the opportunity <laughs> to, to go and see uh, some of the, you know, the far eastern countries. How has that impacted your, your outlook and your kind of worldview? I guess um, it's done a lot. I, uh, I realized going to Asia, I expected it to be one thing. Um, you know, when people tell you about a place, you know, you have these expectations and uh, when you finally go there, it's, it's either shattered or it's, um, it's exactly true. You know, you, know, you mm -hmm. find these, these commonalities with it. When I went to Asia, it was, it was very similar to Africa in a way. Like I felt, that I felt there was a lot of similarities, not just how the people live day to day, um, but also about the systems that surround them and the people. So some of the people are obviously oppressed. Some of the people live day by day, but most people are actually happy. 
So a lot of people just sort of accept their situations that they're in uh, and appreciate it because obviously it can always be worse and they see the people around them that have less mm -hmm. and they're still happy. <laughs> so um, I guess throughout my travels, I always found that a lot more people were actually more similar than we, we ever imagined. So a student in Cambodia, for example, may be under a very different circumstances than a student in the UK. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, we still have deadlines to go through. <laughs> you still have to study. You, know, you still want to get to the university. You still want to make something better of yourself. Yeah. You know, everyone still has these goals and dreams. And there was a, an Indonesian man I spoke to when I, on my travels. Um, and I spoke about how the UK, you know, what sort of lifestyle we led here. And he came to sort of uh, the conclusion after saying that we had a better lifestyle than his, which is true. I guess we have a better standard of living. He also said that, he said it's, it's a hard life. He, after I sort of spoke about what, you know, what it's like to live in, in a, a modern economy uh, in, a, in, a first, in a first world country, as you would describe it. Mm -hmm. And he kind of was like, yeah, he said he understood. He said, he said he's happy where he is right now. And uh, I guess it sort of it made me realize how similar we all are, how connected we all are. And I, I say the word connected because it makes you feel that um, the person who's uh, 10,000 miles away um, could be thinking the same thing as you, looking at the same moon as you are, hmm. um, wondering what their purpose in life is. You know, They've got goals and dreams and ambitions. They've got family and they've got friends. They still live day to day. Mm -hmm. uh, and they still strive to be happy. I think that that's what I learned most about in Asia, yeah. is that it's a completely different culture, but a culture aside, we're all still human beings. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not sure, I don't, wouldn't say it was a philosophical journey, but I guess I had a great time, met loads of people, um, and whether they're from Australia or New Zealand or Canada or from South Africa or from the UK, from Germany or from France, who knows where. Like, we are all very similar people, and... Uh, traveling, you put aside your differences, mm -hmm. you know, you, uh, you just enjoy the experience. Mm -hmm. I think that's what really inspired me while I was over there, just to come back to Edinburgh and just to enjoy the experience and the, and the roller coaster that is being an entrepreneur, being a startup, and also inspired me to do a bit more because I realized there's a lot of, a lot of issues out there, a lot of issues we have with society and in the, in, in the, in the world, in the global community. And if I can make one small difference, if I can inspire one other person and they do the same and the same, mm -hmm. then maybe we can obviously make this change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where do you see yourself in five years' time? Oh, classic, classic question. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. I, uh, I, wish I, could, I wish I could say, I wish I could even envision it, but five years ago, I saw myself, or I didn't even see myself in a way, because five years is so long. <laughs> I, I knew in five years, when I first started university, I'd be finished, and I'd probably be in a graduate job. Um, five years before that, I just saw myself going to university. And now that I'm outside of university, I'm on this journey of being an entrepreneur, my future as a whole is so, um, I don't know, so, so undescribable, because I have no idea what's going to happen next. Um, but in five years, I see myself in a position where I can make real change. And uh, I can't, cannot define that right now because you know, the future is still not written, or what I believe anyway. And uh, I see myself in a position where I can actually make a change. Right now, I'm, I'm talking about it. I'm raising awareness. I'm slowly building up on it. And I'd, I'd, I'd hope to have a number of businesses that are all working together as a unit in some way or another to create shared value. Right? So that could be uh, only hiring apprentices for one of, one of my technology business, uh, Caster Space Technologies, mm -hmm. which I started out of uh, university. Uh, so for example, helping the community with that. And hopefully in five years time, I'm in a position, maybe even financially, to start making a real difference. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, one day hopefully take that sort of what I've learned back to Africa and implement it there mm -hmm. and take it and share it with the rest of the world. And hopefully that means that over time we will slowly start moving towards a more sustainable future where there's a lot more opportunities for people um, regardless of what background you come from mm -hmm. and what your situation is. Um, as long as you're willing to learn and you're willing to uh, push yourself forward and be determined and hardworking, there will always be something for you there. That's the future I envision. The mm -hmm. people who want something can work hard for it and grasp it. I guess that was the concept of the American dream in the beginning. Um, so that's what I think, the, what I want to see myself in five years doing is offering that up to the world and saying, listen, here you go. Here, here's an opportunity for you as to be more sustainable and to, to live our lives in a better way. Mm -hmm. um, so in five years time, I want to be able to be in a position where I can actually do that to the, on the world stage. And if that means just, a, you know, just saying what I need to say in an interview like this, maybe in five years time, I'll be saying this to a lot more people and inspiring them to do more. Hmm. And uh, I'll tell you right now, I have, I have no idea what my future holds, uh, but I'm excited. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well. <laughs> uh, let's see. <laughs> um, you touched earlier upon, uh, you know, a purpose, a life purpose. I'd like to hear you kind of expand on that. I mean, what do you really feel is your purpose in life? I guess um, everybody is, is on a sort of journey of understanding of their own purpose. Like, what, 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 is, what does our life mean? What, what is our meaning of life? What mm. are we here for? Um, mm. And I guess my, my purpose really is is to try and understand that bit. Um, because while I'm here, uh, I might as well do good. Because we're only, only on, this, on this planet for a short period of time, you know. Uh, what gives life meaning is death. Mm. Um, and in that case, I might as well do good while I'm here. Mm -hmm. um, so achieve greatness. And by achieving greatness and helping other people achieve greatness, that basically means humanity as a whole will achieve greatness. And I guess, uh, I guess I've read a lot of books and watched a lot of documentaries but philosophically I guess my uh, my view on the meaning of life is um, to gain more knowledge and learn more expand life in itself is is basically a being um, of infinite knowledge so we constantly want to gain more knowledge and by having children we retain our knowledge and we give our knowledge to our children mm -hmm. um, uh, cells replicate themselves and that knowledge is then divided into our DNA stores our, our knowledge and knowledge of our base human codes and I think over time we gain more knowledge and share more knowledge. So I think my purpose in life is not just to gain and learn more and understand more, but to share that. Because I, I'm only here for a certain period of time. And while I'm here, I want to make sure that my life has meaning, that I've done something with it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm happy, I guess. I'm, I've got good family. I've got good friends. I've been very lucky. I've had all the opportunities uh, life could possibly give me, um, even despite of circumstances in the past and with Zimbabwe and where I grew up. Uh, I've still taken those opportunities and I've pushed myself forward. So my purpose in life is to share the information, share the skills that I've gained. And my purpose in life is to, to share this knowledge and to build everyone else up. Because I, I see a future, and I guess my, my, my vision of the future is where human beings are looking to the stars rather than looking back down on the ground. So we're looking forward rather than looking behind. Mm -hmm. Remembering the past but not letting the past define us. So my purpose in life is that. Mm. My purpose in life is to help others achieve greatness. And in, in turn, that will help me achieve greatness. And that hopes, hopefully, humanity achieve greatness. And I guess it maybe it's a, 
a child's dream of, of, a, of a better future of, of watching too many sci-fi uh, sci <laughs> films, but I've, I've realized that the sci-fi films that we watch as a, as a kid <coughs> defines what happens in the future. Those kids that watch Star Trek were the kids that invented a mobile phone <laughs> uh, and so on and so forth. So I guess my vision of the future is that is a vision of uh, not perfection, but you know, balance, balance of humanity and a balance of people. So yeah, hopefully my, my part in that you know, will help us develop better. And that's yeah. my purpose. My purpose is to be a part of building this future that I see. And maybe I'm naive in expecting that it will come, but <laughs> I'm a dreamer, like I said before. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I just, I, I find it almost scary. I feel <laughs> as though you're, you're kind of staggeringly evolved for a guy who's just in his early 20s. And that's maybe, um, you know, a kind of backhanded insult to you. Um, <laughs> What are, what, yeah, but what are some of the, you spoke about, you know, books and, uh, and some documentaries that you've watched. What are the things, you know, what are the things that have inspired you? What are some of those books and documentaries? I think, um, obviously, I, I like a list of, of a couple. There's one, one book called um, The Holographic Universe, which is very interesting. And there's a book called 1984 yeah, by George, George Orwell. Orwell. Um, books like, like, obviously, that, sci-fi books. Know, think about Harry Potter, for example, <laughs> uh, a book that sort of inspires loads of, loads of children to think about magic and the universe. Um, I love watching documentaries about our place in the universe, um, and sometimes even at night. I think I've, I've said this to many people before, but it's a great way for me to fall asleep as I imagine my place in the universe. And I expand and I expand and I expand out um, uh, like, a, like a zoom on Google Maps, and I keep going further and further, and I think about myself and the universe and the galaxy, and then into a cluster of galaxies and so on and so forth until I can't imagine anymore. So um, to me, it's never been about what I actually have watched or what I don't understand. <laughs> because uh, I guess I'm, I'm full of quotes tonight because uh, it's just one of those nights. Um, but I think life in itself is a journey of understanding. So like I talked about knowledge before. Um, and unfortunately, you know, fear, the other side of things, is uh, a misunderstanding. So you fear things you don't understand. You fear mm. things you do not control. You fear death because you don't understand death. You don't know what comes next. You, f you fear that you cannot control death, which is true. We cannot control it. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, um, I guess I realize this understanding is, is uh, at the heart of it all. Like you speak about how I, I'm looking at the future in this way and uh, I've watched documentaries and read books and stuff, but I just constantly have this hunger for knowledge. I, wa I want to learn more and understand more. And the more that I understand, the more that I feel like I'm aware of my surroundings and I guess I'm a different person now than I was uh, a week or two ago because for example in that time period I've done this and that I met with this person that person mm -hmm. and I think every experience we ever have defines us as a person so I think if something had not happened to me as a child if I had not left Zimbabwe I would be a definitely a different person today mm -hmm. um, because my experiences of who define me right now doesn't define me who I'll be in the future because that's mm -hmm. my, my choice and my actions but the more I learn I think that's the wiser you become, and that's why we consider people who are older than ourselves to be wiser. Um, and I guess in my position, I'm I'm 22. I'm just out of university. I'm a, I'm a wee baron, as, as you yeah, would call yeah. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in, in terms of society's norms, but uh -huh. I keep my ears open. Yeah. Uh, I guess I've got a watchful gaze. I, I look at a situation and I, and I try and analyze it in a way. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people I've met in my life have kind of intrigued me in a certain way and led me down a certain path, and I've. I'm very inquisitive, very curious. I guess my teachers hated me for that because I always asked loads of questions. Um, and that's why I've learned so much. I mm -hmm. guess there's not specifically one book I've read, mm -hmm. a one specific documentary. 
Um, but it's uh, this curiosity that I've had, that human beings, I guess, have had for eons. We've, uh, we've always wondered what it is that makes us us and why we're here and all these questions. And these questions themselves are what drives human beings to be where, the way we are. We question our surroundings, that self-awareness of why is the world like this? You know, at one point in time, we thought the world was flat. Some people still do, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and now we know it's round, for example. We know that it no longer, you know, the, the world that we live in is not the center of the universe. You know, the Earth is, uh, is rotating around the sun. So we're not even the center of our own solar system. Yeah. We're, you know, we're not the center of our known galaxy. And suddenly, the more we learn, the more questions we have. Mm -hmm. And that's what excites me. So I think, um, I think when you spoke about what it is that I've learned or what it is that I'm, I'm reading, yeah. I'm not reading anything specifically. I'm, I'm just keeping my eyes and ears open. And that makes me, I guess, more self-aware. Yeah. And conversations like this, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have interviews like this. I, I guess people will look at me and say, oh, he's, that guy's a bit weird. He's, uh, he's talking about all these things. You know, it's very philosophical. It's very deep. Yeah. Um, but I, I love it. I love yeah. thinking about it because maybe one day I stumble upon the meaning of life. Maybe one day I just go, it all makes sense now. <laughs> and that, like, eureka moment, yeah. um, where suddenly, you know, you realize by putting yourself in the bath, the water level rises and, oops, you know, there's, uh, there's this force, there's this gravity that is... Uh, doing all these things and suddenly um, I'm, I'm waiting for that Eureka moment for me uh, and the more discussion I have and the more conversation I have about philosophical themes and the universe and the more documentaries I watch and things I read mm -hmm. all adds to my better understanding of the world and my worldview um, but yeah I think this for anybody out there who uh, wonders a bit more I think you just got to keep learning keep open your eyes a bit more and more mm -hmm. read more things ask more questions I don't think there's any such such thing as a, a silly question. There's no silly questions, only silly answers. <laughs> um, and I think if you keep asking questions, maybe you'll find your answers. <laughs> That's such a good answer. Um, it's funny because you said, you know, maybe people will think you're strange for, for speaking like this. <laughs> I, 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 I think will. you're completely normal for speaking like this. You know, I'm, I'm absolutely on the, the same sort of frequency or level, but it's taken me a lot longer than you to get there. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's different, I guess. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. <laughs> what do you think you would like your legacy to be? Ooh, um, I guess I don't, I don't really want a legacy as such. I, I think a legacy is, is nice, you know, it makes me feel good. You know, I've, I've, been, a, I've been given loads of awards at university and uh, with even the Edinburgh Apprentice was an award as such, but I, I don't really particularly want the award. The award just adds, I guess, to a, a glorified CV. But, um, <laughs> but I think I want my legacy to be an inspiration those that follow I guess um a bit the way we look at our role models um maybe for example I guess a role model for me is Elon Musk mm. uh, a, a man who who grew up in, in South Africa and started a, a tech company in the beginning and went through a lot of hardship and a lot of failure and resilience and he's built the companies he has today and his vision of the world is is miraculous you know uh, and I completely resonate with it so I think my legacy would be something similar to that. I want my legacy to be leaving the world a better place. And I, I don't mean for just like, maybe if I have children one day, not just for my children or the children of the world, um, but I want my legacy to be that I left the world in a better place than I found it. <laughs> um, because right now, I guess we've got a lot of issues and you know, like I said before, I've decided that I'm gonna take action. And now that I've started, I'm, I'm not gonna stop. 
uh, then there's always more problems to solve. And uh, when there's no more problems to solve, I'm going to start um, looking out there for things that I can do, looking at the stars and seeing if we can get there. Mm. And seeing if one day, you know, we can start answering these questions that we've been asking ourselves since the day we were born. Um, I guess that's what my legacy would be, an inspiration to the people that follow that if you, if you take action, if you decide that you want to make a change, if you want to make a difference, that you, you can do that. Mm -hmm. That, you know, who knows, one day your idea could change the world. <laughs> I think that's what I want my legacy to be. How do you define success? I think success is defined by uh, different people. It's different things. I think success could be you, um, you having a family, being, being a good father. Uh, success would be becoming the CEO of a company. Uh, it can be success in any forms of, of, of the way we look at the world. Uh, to me personally, my success is, is meeting my goals. Right? So my success is when I've done something that I feel des is deserveth of or completing of my goal. So my success is really actually based upon being a good person. And it's very hard to define because, you know, what is a good person is, and what is ethics behind that? Mm. And um, I think being a good person doesn't just mean looking after one another. It means taking responsibility for the issues around you. Um, and I think my success in life, if I, if I were to say when I would be happy, you know, when I've reached that peak of success, um, is when my every sort of operation and my, my businesses and my life as a whole is making a difference. Like it's, it's sustainable, it's effective, it's, it's making a change. I think that's my, my success. Mm. My success is when I see children, for example, playing in the, in, the, in the park and not having to worry about the air they breathe mm. or um, kids having, you know, going, to, going to the seaside and not seeing plastic on the beaches. Um, when I was in it, when Asia, I, I constantly saw beaches filled with plastic that on Instagram photos look gorgeous. But when you actually go there, you, you don't realize that the top half of the picture is always cut off. Sorry, <laughs> the bottom half is cut off, rather. Mm -hmm. And um, that's the way I define success. When, when my personal success is when the world is a better place. The world is a cleaner place. The world is a lot more friendly. People don't have to strive and to survive. I think when human beings, and I've just, just mentioned this before, when human beings get to the point where we no longer have to worry about survival, Mm. our basic needs, that's when we can really start to evolve intellectually. You know? mm. when we, we don't have to worry about feeding our family. We don't have to worry about those fundamental issues. When we're not scared about the planet crumbling in amongst ourselves because we've caused these issues in society. Mm -hmm. we've, we've caused climate change. You know? the more scientists, well, 99% of scientists say that it is our fault, and we have respectable data for this. So we need to start taking responsibility for this. Mm -hmm. And I think my success in life would be at the point where not only have we ta I've taken responsibility for us, but us as a, a society have done that, and we've moved towards making that change. So my success will be when we've actually made that change. And I guess I may not never actually make that success, mm. but along the way I'm going to celebrate the small successes and, and the first sale for Helping Hands, for example, mm. the first product we produce for CST. Um, you know, potentially one day if I ever get married, I guess that'll be a small success. Yeah. Making it through marriage. <laughs> um, all these small things, I guess, in life. And um, that's definitely what I realized. Another thing when I realized in Asia was um, the key to happiness is determining what it is that makes you happy. <laughs> so there's yeah. a difference between, and this quote comes from, uh, I think this is a quote comes from Sensei. It's a series. Um, and I love watching these series that open your mind. Um, I like to escape, but I also like to think at the same time. And the quote goes, there's a difference between the things that you work for 
the things that you live for. And it's very important to figure out what you live for and not what you work for, because the things that you work for are not always the things that make you happy. So along the way, I'm going to make sure that I'm happy. And that means accepting, appreciating, and occasionally being ambitious about you know different things in the world. Mm. So that's my success. And I'm sure your success is, is different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, it, success is a funny one. You know, it's obviously something that I've, I've spoken to a lot of people about. Um, and I think it really is just it's determined by the individual entirely. And then it can be small things or it can be, you know, big things. But yeah. yeah. It's very different, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? <laughs> oh, it's so hard. I think um, I think I, I can let her through so many pieces of advice. Um, but I think one of the things is to... Um, to never let go of your dreams, and obviously I think this is a cliche because a lot of people do say that, but I constantly get, get tested um, by my own resolve whether or not I think, am I going in the right direction? And um, I think, you know, am I doing the right thing? You know, did I, I turn down a job to, to start my businesses? You know, I, I could have been earning a lot of money and I could have, you know, I've been a, in a very good financial position. Mm. And right now I guess I'm... I'm not in that financial position that I would be if I was in that job, but I still am happy. So I guess actually on the back of that, I think the best piece of advice I ever got was from my, a mentor at university, uh, Jack Bailey, and he said to me, sometimes um, you just need to follow your heart. And I think he, uh, he said to me, it was, it's very difficult to make a decision sometimes because uh, your brain says you should do this. Your brain says you should, you should choose this because it makes logical sense because you know you'll be financially stable and you can think about the career progressions and all the rest of that but sometimes sometimes in here it doesn't it doesn't quite sit right mm -hmm. um, and that's the point where I think uh, I really developed as a person when I stopped I analyze things obviously and I look at it with an engineering mind but then sometimes I go what do I actually want to do hmm. what I want to do and that's when I think you know going after your dreams and listening to your heart sort of thing, that's when the advice really comes at the same time. Mm -hmm. I've always got, a, I guess, a, a clear head. I try to have a clear head. Uh, my parents gave me that. They've always trying to make me a realist and realize yeah, what I can do and what I can achieve. And I'm very lucky that I've had very supportive parents like that. Um, so definitely thank them for that, mm -hmm. amongst other things. Many lectures, many lectures. Um, but definitely that, I think, follow your heart. Sometimes it's hard and it's difficult. And um, I guess what leads on to following from your heart is, um, you know, sometimes the hardest things are actually the ones that are worth it the most. Mm -hmm. So I guess in following my heart with these businesses, I'm feeling happier and I'm feeling better as a person. I'm growing as a person. So I think if other people try and follow that advice, sometimes, you know, if, if it's, if you hate your job in the banking industry or financial services, and then you take on something else, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it may be really hard and you may feel like, avenues are very difficult for you but as long as you follow in your heart as long as you feel good and as long as you're happy about what you're doing maybe you're struggling to get by financially but eventually it'll pick up because mm. you know if you're doing what you love you know it's always good and i think this is actually <laughs> a, gr a great quote and I'm, I'm on the quote day it's, it's quote day for me it's quote day um if you do what you love you'll never work a day in your life mm -hmm. and uh that's what someone said to me in asia and i was like you you're right sir yeah. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. 
I'd, I'd normally ask um, if you had the opportunity to speak to your 20-year-old self, what would you say? For you, it's not been terribly yeah. long. But, but if you were to speak to your 15-year-old self, what would you say? I've actually thought about this before because I've, I've thought, you know, would I ever tell myself if I was younger what my future would be like? And yeah. um, I wouldn't really tell him anything. Um, I think he'd find it out for himself. But in reality, I'd basically just say to him, don't worry. You know, everything's going to be all right in the end. Um, and just enjoy the small things along the way. Um, because the moment is always fleeting. And I think what's more, most important is sometimes just enjoying the, the family dinner, sitting down, uh, having family dinner, listening sometimes to the arguments across the table or the, or the, or the bickering, all, all for banter, obviously. Um, and just those small moments which you'll actually remember more than anything else. Yeah. So I'll just tell my, my younger self that to, to not worry about anything. Like at the end of the day, things will always be all right. Yeah. The world's not going to stop. And if it does end, you know, it's not really the end of the world as we know it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with every change, you know, there's always something good comes out of it. Something beautiful, something magical in chaos. And the w universe was formed, I guess, in our, in our scientific knowledge right now from chaos. Yeah. So for something that was, was disastrous and would look disastrous, you've, you've got this lovely blue planet with we live on, <laughs> with massive diversity in, in us. Um, so I think I would just tell him just not to worry about it. Uh, sometimes, you know, you'll be stressed. Sometimes you'll have good days, sometimes you'll have bad days. But at the end of the day, it's always all right. Um, yeah, because I think at the all the other things I've learned in my life, you know, without the experiences, you know, the heartbreak, for example, of, you know, certain people in your life and uh, the tough decisions that you have to make, you know, sometimes it's, it's not going to help if you tell somebody how to do it. Sometimes, you know, no matter how many times your parents tell you that you shouldn't do this or maybe you shouldn't do that, until you make those decisions and you make those mistakes, you'll never learn. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, <laughs> I was given enough birth as a child, uh, enough space rather, to, to make those mistakes. And those mistakes really helped me grow as a person. Mm. Um, and because I made those mistakes, I, I guess, you know, I now know, for example, <laughs> not to step on fire uh, wearing plastic shoes because <laughs> the hot coals go straight through the plastic. Jeez. And, yeah, you know, don't, don't little boys who play with fire wet their beds sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, instead of wet my beds, I got, uh, I got blisters on my feet. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. So, yeah, so I learned those <laughs> lessons. Yeah. But I would just, I just tell my younger self, like, not to worry, man. Like, no matter what... Like how old I become, I always tell my younger self that, and hopefully I keep telling myself as well. Just sometimes, just enjoy the enjoy the enjoy the moment, enjoy the roses. Yeah. Edinburgh's got a lot of great scenery, so sometimes I just uh, I look at the, the scenery, just take a big breath of air, and just go, God, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's pretty great. much it. Yeah, yeah. If you could change anything in the world, what would it be, and why? Oh, change. I think if I were to change one thing in the world, I think I would, um, I'd make everybody connected. And in a weird way, this, this, this may not work because obviously it's very hard to do so, but make sure that you could hear everybody's thoughts. Right? Imagine if you could hear every single person's thoughts. Right. right? There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a movie called The Circle, um, and I just watched, and this was Tom Hanks. And the idea would be that if you could hear everybody's thoughts, and everybody was connected, a bit like an, a, a series called Sense8 as well, mm -hmm. um, it means you couldn't lie to one another. Um, and sometimes um, lying in itself means that we're keeping secrets from each other. 
and keeping secrets creates uh, rifts or gaps between our connections. And somewhere along the line, you know, by you know telling a white lie, sometimes it's a, it's a surprise. So it's you know it's quite cute. Um, but other times, you know, you could say something in the hopes that you gain something from it. You know, people become greedy, and there's obviously different ways in the world that people get to the point where suddenly you have power over somebody else, and, and at that point we start to really divide as a, as a people. So we've obviously got a class system, we've got issues between people who are really poor, who, who, who want more, who need more, and people who have so much that they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So I think the point where you remove the ability to lie by making everybody be able to communicate, let's say, with our minds, or even at the same time, nobody can lie at all. Uh, I think if you can change that, you'd make the world a uh, more open place, in a way. I guess it'd be quite scary, because everyone would know what you're thinking. So um, <laughs> it'd be kind of weird in oh a way, wow. but I think it's a bit of a radical view of looking at it. Um, but it if, nobody could, <laughs> if nobody could lie, because everybody could see everyone else's thoughts, then as soon as you started to do something, you'd have to be open, and you'd have to be honest, and you'd have to be transparent. Um, the same way, I guess, we're trying to do with Help and Hands. Like we're, we're not laying anything out. We're saying that we're trying to achieve this. This is our transparency. Like, yeah. um, we're not a charity. We're, we're for profit because we want to be sustainable. We're not hiding that. And if people start to do that as well, if they, they said, listen, like, um, I made a mistake. I've done this. Instead of saying, no, this is the right decision, even though we said an hour ago that it was the wrong decision. That ability to, to not lie, hmm. I think, might actually change the way we, we see the world. Maybe, maybe it's something <laughs> different. Maybe I should have asked for, um, for peace. Um, like everyone else. Maybe <laughs> I should have asked for superpowers. Everyone had superpowers. That'd be really cool. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think, you know, in a world where everyone hears each other, like, what would be the, the impact of that? I'm not sure if it would necessarily ameliorate all problems, but certainly it would make people accountable yeah. for, you know, greed, lying, and all your kind of sinful traits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess one, it's always really hard because you've only got one thing to change. Yeah. Um, and I know that you know, you can't force peace because you can't change that peace is a result of something. Mm -hmm. Or you can't uh, make give everyone um, countless amounts of food or things like that because then there's reparations. Where ev there's always cause and effect. Yeah, yeah. And I think the effect of having everybody hear each other means that maybe we'll become more connected. Mm -hmm. Or if it means that for somebody across the globe who I can then be in their shoes and see from their eyes and see from their senses, um, Again, this series in state. I guess I've been a bit inspired by that. <laughs> and maybe at that, that point, I'll be a, a bit more self-aware. Yeah. Um, I think doing that, that, that one change that I've envisioned, means that people will actually have to take a step in other people's shoes. But the grass is always green on the other side, but mm. until you're on the other side, you don't know that. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes it's, you, you always look at these CEOs or these millionaires and everything else, and you think they've got such a great life. But someti and sometimes you think they are, oh, they're greedy, or they've done this, or they got to their position. Um, by being bad people, mm. but sometimes it's by being good people, by being lucky or by being hardworking, um, you don't understand their stories. Mm -hmm. And only until you listen to their stories do you realize that they are, they're people like you, you and me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what I want to change. If anything, it's just showing people that we're so much more alike. Our differences shouldn't separate, separate us. Uh, our similarities should bring us closer together. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, that's what growing up in an international school did to me was showed me that doesn't matter <laughs> what color you are, what culture you're from, what background, what ethnicity, um, what age you are, mm. you know? Um, you can still be friends and you're all sort of the same people, you're all going to the same classes. You all have the one teacher you don't like. 
Um, you all have the one teacher that gives you loads of homework, and you all don't want to do that homework. Um, so <laughs> it's yeah. finding those um, find those those similarities. And I think if if I made that one change, and I know I'm going on on about this because it would be cool, really. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Amazing, Selby. I've had so much fun speaking with you. Um, I, I knew that you were a smart guy, a very <laughs> Uh, you know, inspiring guy and, and, a, and, a, and a deep guy, but you know, some of your answers, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly blown away by. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've absolutely loved this. It's been brilliant. Well, uh, thank you for your kind words. Okay, I wasn't expecting yeah, praise on this interview, but <laughs> I guess I got it. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was, uh, it was great. I love having these discussions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Awesome. Cheers. Selby, thank you so much. Oh, cheers, Elliot. Cheers. All the best. You've been listening to Inspired Edinburgh. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe for more powerful conversations. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show and we'll see you at the next episode.